the Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Westwood One. And this is going to be my drummer episode just before we head into the Christmas break or Christmas season. And I personally actually won't be on break. You will be getting a show every Monday. Don't uh, don't despair. You can check your Spotify, Amazon, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, and whatever else. I will be here with an episode every Monday. Alan, will you be around co-hosting as well, or or are you taking a, a little uh, hiatus? Or well, good good day to you, and uh, yes. of course, uh, as committed, if I'm invited, I will be available. Sweet. Okay. So here here is, and by the way, thank you for that because folks have been loving your appearances. I keep getting emails and and messages on Facebook that that folks love your insight and. Judging by the recent spat of news stories, I've had, you know, Tobias Forge, a ghost, and I've had uh, Alice Cooper and Paul Stanley and all these other people. And a lot of the news I keep seeing is Alan Niven said, and it's like, hey, all right, that works for me. Got to, getting some press. So it's, so fans are loving it. Um, M3 Festival. We have spoken about the Merry, Merry Weather Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland before. You have, of course, been there with bands. Um both Great White and, and Guns N' Roses, or just just G and R? No, they've both been through there. With you though, I as, think at the helm. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think I remember. I mean, you know, come on, Mitch, it's a long time ago. I mean, Noah was selling T-shirts with the pictures of his arc on at half these gigs. Yes, and and and, and it's great to sell T-shirts with with images on them but we'll we'll keep that discussion for another time but uh, may 3rd 4th and 5th the m3 rock festival is taking place there at the merryweather post pavilion and this year we have got headlining one of the nights white snake which of course will be absolutely a glorious uh, extreme warren skid row vince neal kicks firehouse kingdom come uh, quiet riot steven adler by the way is going to be there uh and then we have la guns and so let me tell you this story um you know the the poster came out the announcement came out and i like many media places went la guns is coming and tracy guns and phil lewis took to their social medias and said no we're not and people went yes 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 it's on the poster and they went yeah that's that's not us and so the festival later on cleared it up and said no 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 it's not that LA guns it's this LA guns and people went what so it is the LA guns that features drummer Steve Riley who uh, has been with Wasp but also was with LA guns for and and I don't have the exact number at least 15 years probably 20 um, so Steve Riley has started up a new LA guns and at the time of this recording uh, no lead vocalist has been announced, and so I got. Well, are, they, are they are they not going to? Uh, you know, I I sense a bit of a rap story here, so maybe they could get Bobby Blotzer to do vocals. <laughs> yeah, and and so well, that's what I'm going to ask. I mean, first of all, it is kind of. I don't know. We're going to talk to, to, to Steve Riley about it, and then later on in this drum show, we're going to have a Carmen Apice or Carmen Apice, depending on. Who you are and how you want to say it but you know when you're when you're in a band 
like Great White and Jack Russell goes off and does his thing and Great White goes off and do their thing concurrently and you have Jack Russell's Great White and Great White. I can sort of see it, but when you've been away from the scene for three, four years and the other band has gone off and really marketed it and played with it and been it, (laughs) where do you stand on these naming rights? Because legally, from what I understand, and of course I'm not the lawyer, I'm not the accountant, I'm not the business, legally from what I understand, Steve Riley does own the name or own part of the name. Um, Should he be allowed to use it? Should it be Steve Riley's LA gun? Should... You know, should, should, should. Where where do well, you sort of see it? It's usually pretty sad and usually pretty messy. And the first thing you, you to respond to your question is go and read the contract and see who has the rights to do what under the circumstances of a band dissipating and who can utilize the name and who can't use the name. And, you know, as with most things in life, you know, you want it to be purely about the spirit, but especially with old bands, I suppose it comes down to the old buck every now and then. And if somebody's really scratching to make a living and, you know, a couple of people are probably earning a bit more money because of publishing and they can't be bothered, um, I can see where somebody would say, well, I'm going to grab the name and go and do some summer dates and try and get my rent arrears taken care of um you know but ultimately you know i kind of think about jagger and richards who certainly have had their disagreements throughout the ages and the eons um but you know keith has always had an attitude of i can't leave the rolling stones it just can't be done um whether I'm happy with Mick or unhappy with Mick, he's my singer in the Rolling Stones and there will only be one Rolling Stones and I will perform with him um, as the Rolling Stones. And I, I, kind, of, I kind of fall with Keith in most cases. Um, and, you know, it reflects back on my disappointment that um, greed prevented is he and Stephen from being part of a genuine reunion? Uh, because that is really Guns N' Roses. Is you know those those five who made Appetite and who made Lies and who made Easier Illusions. That's the band. So you know that's what gets you into the sad aspect of you know. Come on, guys, can't you sit down and work it out and go out together and be caring about each other? If somebody's having a rough time financially then, you know, throw a few dates together, put a couple of bucks in the bank um, and try and do it without being a greed head. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, it's not the first one we've had. We've had, as you know, two great whites. We've had two Queens rights. We've had two warrants. We've had uh, two pretty boy Floyds, though. I don't think anybody ever noticed, um, <laughs> you know, and anyway, Steve Adler, Stephen Adler will be part of the M3 rock festival. I will be there lot of great bands and i'm glad to see that vince neal is there and he's not calling it motley crew for example but it is interesting yeah, well, well done to vince and well done to uh you know little stevie because uh you know he's not out there going this is adler's guns and roses 
Um, not that Axel would let him, but, um, you know, at least he's going out there under his own name and can go and enjoy his enthusiastic performance of the material that he recorded. Yeah, and just just real quick, since we mentioned Axel and stuff, I don't bemoan the fact that he went out and continued using the name of Guns N' Roses, or some bands that do that, because, you know, in, in Guns N' Roses, the, the circumstances were a little different, but there are other bands where they do 10 years of career, 20 years of career, and somebody says, I'm leaving to go raise a family, or I've had enough of this, and fans will go, well, you know, the lead singer shouldn't use the name anymore. And it's like, well, hey, no, wait a minute. They were there well, on the exception. They wait, built wait, wait, the brand. It, it, it depends on circumstances. Well, yeah, the Guns N' Roses was a little bit different. There was some firings oh, and some... a little bit different? A little bit different. different. Right. I mean, the, the, the name was wrenched from the other members under threat. And yes. that yes. is not cool. Yes, but... but but you are aware, but there are other other bands out there where members do step away. We're not talking guns, but other bands where, where members step away. And the guy that keeps on going, or the two guys that keep on going, I think should have the right to use the brand name. Why should they have to rebuild an entire brand and an entire career just because the bass player decided that he wanted to get married and have three kids, or the other guy decided, eh, I'm not interested in doing music anymore. Hey, I Mitch. Yeah. I'm going to say bar humbug. Yeah. I'm going to say two words. Well, three, actually. <laughs> I'm going to say free, and then I'm going to say bad company. And I have always respected the fact that Paul Rogers did not go out there and call himself free again when the band evidently wasn't free. He renamed it. He had confidence in his ability. He had confidence in his band. He had confidence in his writing. And he knew... He didn't have to grab onto the history of free to guarantee his future. Oh, and yeah. that, I, that, I think, is utterly appropriate. So, well done, Paul Rogers. Yeah, you know, anyway, circumstances. And, 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 and personally, if I had to choose between one or the other of the band, I mean, you know, David Cohen and Paul Kossoff, David was his dad, Paul Kossoff, is one of my guitar heroes. And... I love Free with a passion. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Bad Company were okay. They went out there. They made some good records. They did. And I, and I guess also the the age of, of the people make a difference because Paul was, was probably still in his 20s, early 30s. I think when you're 55 or 60, it might be a little more difficult. But anyway, listen, uh, we've got Steve Riley. We're, let, let's listen to what Steve has to say. On the other side, we are going to have Carmen Apice a piece. I'm just going to say both so that nobody gets confused. He is talking, of course, about the, the latest King Cobra release, working with Paul Stanley and so on and so forth. But uh, without further ado, from L.A. Guns, I guess, here is the one, the only, Steve Riley. We are speaking with drummer Steve Riley. The band L.A. Guns will be at the M3 Festival in May, and I will be there to see that. Um, so, Steve, let's start with that, because when we say Steve Riley of L.A. Guns, it starts a whole discussion of, yes, it is, no, it's not, this is that. Talk to me about this L.A. Guns thing and M3, and, and let's just clear it up. What, what is going on? 
Okay, really quick, Mitch. It's like, you know, I just need everybody to know that I never intended on taking a second L.A. Guns out. And if I did, I would have done it right at the beginning of 2017 when Phil and Tracy started doing shows together and I was no longer with Phil. And I would have done it right then. But it wasn't. It never even crossed my mind. It, for two years, it like you know. So I had been doing a whole bunch of stuff. I got to play some songs. That I got a, a songwriting partner in um, Chicago, Tommy Holland, and we have a whole trove of songs. They, they're from all of. They cross all kinds of genres, and they were. They just published their our songs, and I, I I've been on a mission to place those. And I started in 2016 when I was on tour with Phil. And I got—I have a screenwriter friend who is doing a goth horror flick, and it's a SAG after flick. You know, they got a big budget and everything. And he asked me to submit some songs, and I did. And they're going to give, use three songs in the movie. And things started to spiral right then. They asked me to do a screen test, and then the next thing I knew, I was flying to New Orleans to be in this movie. <laughs> So it was really a crazy little thing that happened real fast in 2017. And then I started doing some things with Vice, too. With, you know, I did their Munchies episode, and then I got a half-hour thing that we're going to pitch to them. I've been doing a bunch of stuff, working on a documentary about the 90s singers that have died. And so, you know, I I, I wasn't even thinking L.A. Guns, Mitch. Not even crossing my mind to say, I'm going to take out a second L.A. Guns. And so, you know, last year was the beginning of me saying, you know, wow. When, we, I, when I was with Phil in 2016, I had to cancel M3. And this is the best festival for our genre. This is the best put together festival every year. It's in a great venue. They have really good bands playing every year. The production staff is tops. Everything the way it's done is great. And by the way, and, let me let me just throw in there. I will agree wholeheartedly. I have been to many festivals and uh-huh. I've been backstage to many festivals and M3 is first class. At, uh, the is. fan experience seems to be first class, but I know the way they treat the media is first class, and I saw how they treat the bands first class. Eric Baker and company do a fantastic job. The only thing that I would say it's comparable to is maybe Heavy Montreal up here, which is yep. another first class run organization. Right. So, so yeah, go on. It, it is a great festival, and they it really is the best thing for our genre. If there's no M3... Uh, our genre or, or hard rock or melodic rock or hair metal, whatever you want to call it, I don't care what you call it, takes a hit. And, and that's the oh, bottom line. It really does. I totally agree with you. And it's, in M3, the, the promoters, Eric and Brad, Eric Baker, and they, they're all friends of mine, and they really, really treated L.A. Guns great over the years. There are hundreds of bands that want to get on that bill. And the thing is, is that we don't have a lot of... Uh, opportunities now to get your name on a big bill that's going to be advertised with a website and they're going to push it and you want your name attached to that bill because there's hundreds of bands that want to do it. So if you get chosen to do it, you know, that's a really cool thing. And so Eric and those guys have treated LA Guns over the years so cool. They've, they've brought us back time and time again. We, we've run over well. And, uh, in 2016, I'm still playing with Phil. We're booked for M3, and, and he 
makes me cancel it. Phil tells me he can't do M3 two months before the show. And I said, we have to fail. You know, I mean, it was a long story. I mean, that's my whole story with how I was anyways telling them we have to do this. So anyways, the um, thing with Phil was he made me pull the gig and I had to call Eric. I felt horrible. They had advertised. They knew we did one over great a few years before and, and, and in a row. And they just treated us good, put us on the big stage, and we had to cancel. I was like, you know, really, really distraught about that. But, you know, I had to deal with it. Phil and Tracy were going to start doing shows together. So it was kind of like a sprint to the finish line during New Year's Eve in 2016. Just get through it because... Phil had already announced he was going to do it with Tracy, and he put a lot of pressure on me and the other guys in the band. It was just not a really uh, cool atmosphere. So we just sprint to the finish line. But I did cancel M3 that year. Now, I'm not playing with them 2017, and I'm doing all this other stuff. A lot of stuff fun, too, that I never had a chance to do because I've been on the road for like 30 straight years. And... Uh, I was having fun doing it. In 2017, I get a call from Eric Baker, and he says, can you come to M3, maybe with people like Stacy Blades and Jizzy Pearl? And I said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, you know, uh, these guys booked, and they canceled. Phil and Trace, they booked it again, and they canceled it after they started advertising it. But my, I would, my reaction was, what? You want me to come? And Eric said, yes. And his partner, Brad, was into it, too. And they wanted me to come. And they were all friends. And I was like, listen, you guys, I can't do this. I, this is last year, 2017. I said, I can't do this. I said, it's not, it feels desperate. Right. And it also feels like I'm going in and wiping up a mess that they created. I cannot do that. And I told them, I love you guys. Thank you for offering it to me. I'm flattered. I said, but I really can't do that. And so, okay, it goes by. And then the home of the year, and I'm looking at all these projects. And again, not even thinking about a second LA Guns. And I get a call two months ago. So like two years of all this gone by now, and I get a call, and it's Eric Baker from M3. And he said to me, can you come this year with just about anybody? Just put a band together and come and play all like songs. And again, I was really taken aback. I was like, what? I go, uh, you want me to come? I go, why now? He goes, because we wanted the other guys to come, but they don't want to do it. People want to hear L.A. Guns songs. They want to do the whole thing. You have the experience with the, you know, L.A. Guns. And I was like, whoa, you know, this is coming out of nowhere. And I mean really out of nowhere, left field. And uh, I had no idea he was going to call again. And... I I said, Eric, listen, you know what? Because I was doing something at the time. So I said, can I just think about this? And I'll call you back. And I was just like blown away, Mitch. I was like, "What? why are they calling me? What's going on here? And uh, they're very well aware that those other guys are out. And I, I go, what is happening here? So I called Kelly Nichols. And I talked to Kelly. And, I, and me and Kelly have stayed friends. And we were always really tight. And... Uh, I said, uh, can you believe this? I said, these guys in the are calling me. Again, these guys, Phil and Trace, won't do this great show. 
And Mitch, this is where it goes back for years. Everybody knows I've been running LA Guns business for years since the beginning. And um, the thing is, is that it's always been a struggle to convince those two guys that bills like this mean something. And other festivals, they mean things because they mean that if you do those festivals, that your outlier shows around that area do better. You can play better rooms and you can play around that area because you you just came through in the festival about six months earlier. So I, it was always been a real struggle convincing them that there's certain, we, certain things we got to do, even if you don't like the other acts on the bill, you got to do it. We, it's good for the band, and you know, don't worry. It's good about, for the guarantees. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about the other acts on the bill. So my motto for years with the band in the dressing room or talking in L.A. about a certain bill was, screw it. Who cares? Let's dare them to follow us. Meaning, let's go on and blaze on stage and then just dare somebody to follow us. It doesn't matter. And that's how you go. You put your mindset in it and you don't care who's following you because I have all friends from L.A., all these bands that came up with us in the 80s. It doesn't matter if I really like their music. I really like them. I really like them, and they came up to the total experience with us right from the beginning. And it doesn't matter if they're on the bill headlining over us or just even over us in the bill. That means that they sold more records. And convincing Phil and Trace that that was the deal now with the one us playing live, these promoters check and see who had double platinum albums, who had single platinum albums. And that's how they adjust their bill. They do it on a strength thing of the day when we were all selling albums and who did sell the most. And that's how they structure their bills. But I couldn't convince these guys. And so now this thing comes up and I realize these guys would rather headline a sports bar. I said it on the Facebook thing. They would rather headline a sports bar and go on at 1230 at night than be on a bill at M3 with all of these great, great other acts, a really coveted bill that all a lot of other bands would want. Why would you not do that? Why wouldn't you want a high-profile gig like that? And so, you know, that was a struggle I had through the entire thing with Tracy alone when Phil was out and then with Phil alone when Trace was out. And, you know, both of them are in that mindset. So I talked to Nichols, to make a long story short, I talked to Nichols, and we decided... Hey, man, we are a couple of OGs. We're a couple of original guys from the very beginning. We co-wrote everything. Everybody's, you can check the credits. Everybody's on every song because we really did write as a band. And why not? Why not us go out and have fun and play some L.A. Gun songs? And we said, okay, let's do it. And so from that point on, that was like two months ago, I can't believe what's going on on the internet because I'm not a big internet guy, but I people tell me and I I'm like wow really it's like gone off. We just said we were going to do this one show, and you could see the internet just went off on it. Okay, so <laughs> well, well, let me ask you a couple of questions because you, you you said 
that you never had the idea of doing a second LA gun. So uh, is this one and done no. or is this something that you will, if it goes well, book a run of shows and do well, some other? So well, it, here's the thing. If I had done this one show and I had, like I first thought, the it was just going to be alumni of LA guns before Kelly totally committed and wanted to do this. I, I if that would have been a one-off, you know, where I just got Stacy and Jizzy and you know Scotty or Michael or Kenny, one of those guys, one package of those guys, and done a one-off. I have to tell you my outlook on this now. Even though I'm going to continue working on all these projects, and I'm I'm, ha- I, I'm having a ball doing it too. And uh, the thing is, is that with LA Guns. We won't do any small clubs. If we have any other shows, we don't right now. We only have M3 booked. But Kelly and I and the agency, John Domigal with ARM, he's been with us for years. He's only helped us. He's a great agent, and he networks with everybody. And he does a lot of these festivals, and he did the struggle with me, trying to convince whether it was Tracy alone or Phil alone why we should do these shows because he got us a lot of good offers and sometimes we didn't do them because of the bills and uh, we passed on some stuff and so if that happens Mitch and he comes and says hey another festival wants you or another fair wants you or a casino some kind of a soft ticket high end show where it's not on our shoulders we would consider it absolutely why not we're two original guys we co-wrote the songs. We were, in all, we were on all of the big, whatever songs we had. That's us two powering it. So we felt like, let's go out and have some fun. And let's see if they really want us, M3, and it sounds like they really want us to come. Because they, they really, this is the big festival calling me like two years in a row now, knowing those other guys are out. So it's it's a bizarre situation but it, it speaks for itself that... Okay, so let me ask you... They don't want to do this. So, so let me ask you two things, uh, and, and just hear me out first. Uh, so then why not do the festival and just say, Steve Riley presents an evening of L.A. Guns, or why not do Steve Riley presents the best of his discography, and you do, you know, the right to rock, and you, you, you have a guy do Blind in Texas, and, and just give it sort of the everything you've done and, and, you know, maybe do 80% of LA guns. Um, why still for the one show, call it LA guns. Why not just say, look, you have uh, Steven Adler's guns and roses. That's going to be on the bill. Why not do something like, cause I would love, I mean, first of all, I'm going to love seeing this band cause I love the music. That, I, right. know, uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, sex action, bitches back, whatever. And then boom, blind in Texas hits you and you go, Oh, that well, was cool. there's a you really know? good chance we might do something like that. Okay. But here's the thing, you know, I I wasn't even in the mode of doing something where I'm going to be going out on tour. I was settling in on and pivot, and I was pivoting a little bit. I was still staying with the music and placing it in movies, and then this obvious this other thing came along too, working on this documentary and with Vice, and so. I wasn't even thinking about putting a band together, going out, because I got to tell you, Mitch, I'm 63, I'm in really good shape, but the deal is is that 
I, I don't want to tour like that anymore. What what I just finished doing for the last, I got to tell you, maybe 15 to 16, 17 years, and I've been in only done for almost 30, but those last 15 years of having to do small, small venues, like three or four hundred miles outside of Pittsburgh, I can't do that anymore anyways. I don't want to do it. And uh, they're kind of demoralizing because you don't get the right equipment. You're on a really, really small stage. You're going on at 1230, 1 o'clock at night. And it's just the whole thing. So, you know, what I would do is I would do some good gigs. And and I the thing is, is that I, I have no reservations about using L.A. Guns because I did it alone with Tracy. I did it alone with Phil. And I'm going to do it alone with Kelly. These okay. original members, and I own half the name. I've been in L.A. Guns longer than anybody, nice. even Tracy. I've been the one constant in L.A. Guns. And, uh, you know, I, the thing is, is we both own the name. The way it's structured is he could take one out, I could take one out. When I was with Phil, he took one out with a bunch of unknowns and I, you know, bashed me and Phil through the entire thing. And then as the whole thing is, is with me and Kelly, it changes the dynamics a little bit. I might've done a one and done if it was me and some alumni that were late guys that played with us in the latter stages of LA guns. But with Kelly and him itching at the bit to go out and play these songs that he co-wrote uh, you know, uh, it changes the dynamics a little bit. We're not going to try to do 100, 125 shows like they're going to try to do. We're not going to try to match them and go out there and do club for club. What we're going to do is take M3 as one show and do M3. If something really cool came up, we would consider it. That's where it's at right now. There's no tour booked. There's no other dates other than M3. That's what's so funny about this. It's just the one show, and it's like exploding everywhere. Well, listen, <laughs> like, we it's good because through. everybody knows about it, and so so it becomes an event. So so let me ask you this: you did yeah. it with you did it with Phil for for a while. We know that you did it with yeah, Tracy for yeah. yeah, and you did it with 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 Tracy. When mm-hmm. they got back together, why could you not all do it? You three. I mean, you, you know well, the, the, the the wasted EP you know, that I was that I helped put together you did it with phil yeah. i mean with uh sorry with tracy uh you know and ralph, and ralph who's yeah. now michael star um, <laughs> right uh, you did rip the covers off with phil and stacy yeah. why can't we get phil tracy and steve on on well, the current version here's the thing you know it, it, it's it's bizarre to hear this but it's so true mitch I know that you know the band and you've known us for a long time, but nobody would really know how Phil and Tracy feel about each other other than the real original guys, the ones that we started together and we knew. I knew as soon as I joined that they did not like each other. I mean, it was bad because I, I hated it. I was coming from Wasp and there was dissension in Wasp with Randy Piper and Blackie. So it was the last thing I wanted to see was two of the main guys not really like each other. And and, and just, it, it was a bad situation. Me and Nick and Kelly, we knew, but we dealt with it. It was what it was and we were plowing forward. And we plowed forward as far as we can. And 
these guys did not like each other. They broke up the band in 92, pretty much broke it up where it just splintered. And uh, the, the thing is, is they're back together right now. This is after Tracy bashed Phil in the press about not ever singing the songs right, getting a, a chick singer. And it's nothing against her because she's a really good singer, but saying that she's finally singing the songs right. It's, he was just bashing Phil and because he, he doesn't like Phil. And the same with Phil against Tracy. I, me and Phil went on Eddie Trunk's metal show, the TV show, and it was all going to be about me responding to Tracy saying all these accusations about me, which were insane, but how do you defend yourself? I guess you could say anything you want now on the internet. So the, the, the thing is, is, we go on the show, and they're looking for my reaction to what we just saw with Tracy saying stuff about me. And I didn't even get hardly a word out before Phil jumped in and bashed on Tracy, said it was all untrue, all the accusations, and that Tracy was this and that, and he's pretty much a loser on TV, he's saying this. So I just sat back. And I kind of just let him go because he was really adamant about people knowing what Tracy was all about. So these guys don't like each other. And so here's what's happening right now. They're going for, they're on like a honeymoon. They, I don't know. We don't know. Because me and Kelly laugh about it because we know for real what these guys think about each other from the very beginning to all the way up to now. And, um, it's just a joke that they're together trying this and calling it a reunion when it's just the two of them. And these are two guys that bashed each other in front of our fans and the press for years. And it's the my dismay too. I was just so I, I, against it. I was like, uh, you can't, because you'll never see me bash anybody on the internet, especially a former player. I'll never bash them out. It's like, you know, they're saying that Kelly and I can't play good. It's like, we played on all of the hit records, on all, everything. What are you talking about? You sound childish. It's immature. There's no way to respond to it. And I can't get the pissing wall with Tracy on right. the internet. I just won't go that low. I won't do it. Now, look, you know? listen, we, we've all said silly things over the years when, when we were younger. Sure. And, and, and I've seen it. But I saw the Tracy and Phil L.A. Guns uh, on the last run in 2018 had a chance to sit on the bus and and everybody seemed to be I, there was I, there was no sense of tension to me everybody seemed to be getting along there was they were joking there was laughing they came out and they played a fantastic show so you know maybe you know in the in the heyday of metal sludge everybody took some some shots at each other but i, I but i would like to think that Everyone has matured and gotten a little bit older, a little bit wiser. Well, you know what? That's and... what they would. That's what they would like you to think, Mitch. Of course, they put up a great face on it. But you know, it, it, behind the scenes is another thing. Traveling long distances with somebody and really knowing their views about somebody really, really comes out. And it was just a hinder to the band. Those two guys not getting along was a big hinder to L.A. Guns. I know, and the fans know, and a lot of people know, 
L.A. County should have been way, way bigger than we were. We should have had a lot more success than we did. And I, I can't really attribute it to these guys not getting along and not being able to work with each other. And that's really doing those three albums before it's splintered apart. And, you know, I, I got to just tell everybody, I never quit L.A. Guns. Those two guys quit L.A. Guns and you know, a bunch of times, both of them left the band. And uh, it really hurt the brand. It hurt the band. And I just think the band could be doing a lot better and should be, you know, we should be a couple of notches up the ladder more than we are right now. But, you know, here's the thing. Yeah, you want to attribute it to the old days of Metal Fights bashing each other. Now, this went right up to last year when he was going to do some gigs with Chase. He told me, he said, Steve, listen, be ready, because I don't know how long this is going to last. This guy's a crazy mother. He goes, goes, so I don't know what's going to happen. He goes, he's out of his mind. I'm going to do these shows. And I was like, why are you going to do the shows if you feel that way? And he just went ahead and did it. And, you know, he was bashing him right up until he started doing shows with them. So I'd love to attribute it to the old days of people going on the internet, going after each other. But they're going to put up a brave face right now. But it's funny to people like me and Kelly Nichols. It's very, very funny that those two ended up with each other because we know how they feel about each other. And it's just, it's it's hilarious, really. It's comical. Okay. So, and, and, so let's move away from that for a second. So on Facebook and on the internet, different lineups have been bantied about. Somebody even mixed me into it. They said, Mitch Lafon has announced that Chris Van Dahl. And I went, no, I never announced that. Stop it. <laughs> and it's funny because I never announced that. And, 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 and Chris Van Dahl answered the guy on Facebook and said, I'd love to see where Mitch said that. And it's like, well, you can't because it doesn't exist. So, so rumors are coming out, you know, um, now, so, so you've got Kelly, uh, Stacy, from what I understand has decided to, to not do it. We've got Scott that's going to do it. Who, you know, Jacob, um, was going to be the singer. Now I've heard that he has uh, stepped aside. So, so who's going to sing? Do, do you get some new guy? Do you do you try to convince? Yeah, it, J- okay. It, well, Mitch, you really real quick. The thing is, is that we we haven't even rehearsed. We haven't even gotten together. Kelly's on the East Coast. I'm out here. Scotty's in Vegas. So what we did was we made sure that the band itself, the through the trio of the of musicians was gonna be solid. Obviously me and Kelly playing together were gonna be solid. We worked on so much stuff together. And Scotty, everybody does a lot of people don't know, he's a smart guy. He's a guitar player that played bass in LA Guns. He he knew it was a really, really good gig and that we were gonna work a lot. And he needed a gig, and he's a multi-instrumentalist. He could play keys really well, too. But this guy is a great guitar player that was playing bass in our band. And I really got to see it when we were doing Hollywood Forever. He, he, 
brought in some songs and played them on guitar at rehearsal, and I was like, wow. And then Stacy just has big accolades about him, too. You know, he says, Scott, he's amazing on guitar. So I wanted to make sure that if we did a show, we were going to sound and look great and have fun, and then just we, we have to be pushing air off the stage. And so the three of us are solid. We, I talked to Jacob on the phone only. We, I never met him. And uh, he sounded like a great guy on the phone. And I, I never met him. And we haven't even gotten together to rehearse or anything like that. So the deal was, we just said that we saw a video of you. Would you like to come down and check it out and see how it is? And so that's where we got to before, and before he called me and said, because I guess he does a lot of work in the studio. He's working with movie scores and stuff like that. He's a really, really talented guy. And he said, I'm busy in the studio, and I can't do this because I don't know if the show's going to come up or whatever. So I told him, I understand, no big deal, and we'll stay friends. But that's really where that yeah, we've never gotten together with anybody. We just wanted to make sure the band itself is solid, and we're going to find somebody really, really good to sing because we're going to we want it to sound really good, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, so who else do you think do you good do you do this as a four piece or or you know do we do we bring Bra- bring back Brent Muscat? Do you know do do we call Ralph? Like who who, who do we bring in? Oh, you got some great names in Palestinians. That's so. By funny. the way, Brent Muscat's a great player, and he probably could certainly sing or or sing oh, the, no, the the background parts. <laughs> Brent's great. He's a really good old friend, and I I love him, and I and I know that he's doing well. And uh, but you know what we what we were thinking the three of us and somebody who can sing and play guitar on some of the songs too. So, you know, that's what we're looking for. We have two or three people in mind right now, and we're, we're going to announce it soon, you know, on who's going to do this show with us. But uh, the guys over at M3 are really excited that me and Kelly are coming together, you know, and uh, and it gives it, it gives me a, a better feeling too to have like a, a, an original guy with me too to do this show. Because I'm telling you, Mitch, this thing came out of nowhere. There wasn't any grand plan to do this. There wasn't like any grand plan to take a second LA guns out. It was the furthest thing from my mind and up until like two months ago. And then this one show that was saying, hey, yeah, whatever. Me and Kelly will come and we'll play some great stuff with some great musicians. And we'll play the LA Guns stuff and have fun with the fans. Well, shit hit the fan. It was like unbelievable. You know, it, it, it was like coming down, raining down, but it was like, whatever, it is what it is. Because like, you know, a lot of people just live on the internet to, to comment on all this stuff. Oh, they really do. And, and oh, my God. you know, do me a favor, throw in Blind in Texas or one, or one of the of the big wasps on, just, just for, for fun. Just say, hey, listen. Yeah, you know, you know what we well, you know what we were really honestly, and it's so funny you say that because we were honestly thinking about throwing Wild Child in there just to blast it yes. out and play yes. it. And yes. you know, it, I think that it would be a fun little thing where we could just take a and go go left a little bit and say, "Hey, listen to this," and just blast it out. And I'm sure that we could really do a good job on it. But yeah, we were already thinking about that, so it's funny you mentioned that. And because I think. Maybe it's not the right word, but I think it lends it a legitimacy saying, listen, yes, we are doing these L.A. gun songs, but we're more than just that. And here's another nod to our past. 
And it's sort of like, yeah. oh, okay. So, yeah. you, know, you know, it's not just, and, and excuse the word, but it's not just a cover band. It's f- these guys having fun playing songs that are part of our musical history and, uh, you know, your, yeah. your catalog. And I think, it tur- it, right. And, and all of a sudden it turns it into something exciting or, you know, you, you get uh, Ron Keel to be your singer and you do those songs and you have him do uh, the right to rock and poof. Now, now you've got exactly. a band. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you know, I got to tell you something. That's a funny little story too, that with Kelly Nichols, when I was in Wasp and Blackie had fired Randy Piper he gave me the job to check out bass players, to look at their whole package and, and then get them to come over and meet them before they would come over and play with us. And so I, I, had, I had looked at a bunch of bass players because Blackie was going to switch the guitar. One of the packages I got was from a guy in Sweet Pain, and it was Kelly. And he fit the bill perfect he was tall it was before his motorcycle accident so he was really limber and jumping all over the place and uh he was the guy and we had kelly nichols come down to audition for wasp and i was all forgetting him but blackie had already set his mind on getting johnny Roy because king cobra had opened up for us that year and uh but I thought Kelly would have been a perfect fit in Wasp. So how is that about a weird story? That's how long I've known Kelly. I knew Kelly before L.A. Guns when he was in Sweet Pain, before Fast the Pussycat. So me and him are good old friends. And, uh, you know, I just want everybody to know the L.A. Guns fans to know that, you know, there was no grand plan to take a second L.A. Guns out. We're going right. to go do M3. If there's another really couple of great shows that we could do, we'll do them. We'll consider it. And definitely, because we would like to play the songs that we helped create. And so, you know, there's there's no, like, big thing. We're not going to go head-to-head with the other band and try to do 125 shows in 2019. That's not going to happen. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to throw two names at you just for the fun of it. You just mentioned King Cobra. Uh, right. Johnny Edwards sang with King Cobra, and he also did a Foreigner album, uh, Unusual Heat. Right. Incredible voice. Uh, I mean, he he would be great. And, of course, uh, Terry Glaze, who was the original singer of Pantera, he's still out there doing it, and he's got a, a, a terrific voice. So you've right, got, right. you know, th- that, that was, see, to me, that's the kind of thing that, that sort of makes it fun is if you get, like, the guy who was in King Cobra or the guy who was in, you know, Foreigner, and all of a sudden it becomes like, Ah, you know, rather than yeah. oh man, they picked up some dude in a bar. You know what I mean? And and th- yeah. then you go, then you go. Oh, that's kind of that's okay. I'm in the guy from King Cobra. Oh yeah, I'll go listen to that. But uh, listen, it, it's it's an interesting gig. It it is controversial, of course, w- with the whole naming thing, and, and and I think that had to be expected. And yeah, and I think it has yeah. to be expected that Tracy and Phil are protecting their territory, or you, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, Absolutely. You know, I knew that, you know, when I talked to John Domigo at ARM, he, and we talked about the show, if I was going to accept it, we knew that in, without any other shows booked, without any tour booked, there's nothing going to be like that, you know. But we, if I had accepted this show, we knew that it was going to be like a mini nuclear explosion within the rock community, especially on the internet. And so we knew that it was going to go off like this, but I 
got to tell you, having Kelly Nichols with me gives me a feels. You know, he's my partner. He's my rhythm section partner, and we help motor everything from Magdalene to malaria to never enough everything. Belgian, that's us playing on all of that stuff, and we co-wrote it. And so the thing is, is that we're going to have fun, Mitch. That's all we're going to do, and we just want the fans to know that. Come on and have fun with us. We're going to play some LA Gun stuff and then just have a blast. We're going to do a couple of covers, maybe Wild Sound, maybe like an ACDC cover. Who knows? Just have some fun. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. And uh, there you go. Uh, Steve, absolute pleasure. I mean, we, we've reached 40 minutes, and we haven't covered uh, your entire career, but we'll do a second interview for that. And... You know, either way, I think uh, fans going to M3 uh, are going to have a good time because that festival, from my perspective, is run exceptionally well. The, oh, the and and I have a privileged access of going backstage and stuff. The catering is amazing. That that swimming pool that they have back there, uh, yeah. right? Fans are going swimming pool. What, what swimming pool? Trust me, there's a swimming pool backstage. Um, it, it it's it's just fun. It's just it's I know, fun. You've been to so many festivals. And yeah. So haven't I? And I, we've been to so many like within both of us. And that one really is well, well run, and it just goes off uh, right on time. It's just a really, really well clocked machine, and it just moves good. Yeah, and and people might not appreciate this, but the backstage area is meticulous. It is clean. It is, it is nice. Sometimes you get to a festival and I've been to a festival where they've put artists in a barn. I mean, literally in a barn or the, and you're just like, are you kidding me? And this one is, it's first class all the way. And, and like I said, for me, the other one is, is heavy Montreal up in, up here next to, to where I am as a bit of a Homer by saying that, but uh, those two, and Mitch, real quickly, I, yeah. I, I'll tell you this too. You know, uh, obviously, with M3 calling me the, the three years in a row, two years in a row, especially the film for them, but it, for them to call me, that meant a lot because I think so much of their festival. For them to push that hard for me to come, I was like, wow, it made me say, listen, I got to think about this because these are two guys that run not just that festival, they run the boat and they run a bunch of cruises and all of that. So they're very well connected people. And for them to push that hard for me to come, it made me take a step back and go, what is going on here? And so then I realized they just want LA Gun experience. And if I can bring Nichols with me, that's what we'll do. We're going to have fun, bud. Oh, and by the way, I think you just, you, you just, that's a good name, the L.A. Gun Experience. That see, then everybody would be happy. But anyway, I'm looking forward to M3. I'm looking forward to all the music. And uh, thank you, sir. Always, always a pleasure. And uh, play a couple of tracks from Wasted. <laughs> right on, man. Hey, listen, man. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much. You're, you're a good friend. And just have a great holiday, okay, bud? Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Okay, I'll talk to you Cheers. later, Mitch. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to Steve Riley. Uh, I hope fans will uh, listen to what he said. Uh, you know, it is it is his version of the events and, and all that. So anyway, let us move on to our next drummer on our drummer fest. It is Carmen Apice from King Cobra. And of course, Carmen or Carmine has played with, well, pretty much everybody. I mean, Rod Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne, Paul Stanley's solo album, etc., 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 Blue Murder, uh, 
by the were you by do you know King Cobra and Blue Murder Alan? Are you aware of those bands cuz they had their moment in the sun? Well, Blue Murder as I remember were a Geffen signing in what 1990 somewhere around there, yeah. Somewhere, somewhere around there. 80, 89 was their first album. Yeah, well that's not too bad recall. No. Um and I do remember them from that period of time. Um with Carmen um I mean, he started out with uh, a band called Cactus, as I recall. Um, I went to see, when I was a nipper, uh, a young fella, and believe it or not, I was actually young once, um, I went to see a band called BBA at the Oxford Polytechnic. And to this day, it remains one of the gigs that I can recall and a gig that really filled me up with good energy and and I found it just absolutely wonderful to be present at. And BBA were uh, Jeff Beck, Beck Bo, Jeff Beck, Tim Bogart and, and Carmen and they had just made their debut record and they were storming. They were absolutely amazing. Um, and I also remember one, one little moment when uh, Jeff Beck's uh, guitar strap broke. So he just sat down and dangled his legs over the side of the stage and played from that position until somebody got him a new uh, a new guitar strap. Um, but that was a that's go find that record BBA. Uh, there's a storming version of, of Superstition on it. Oh yeah, that that's a good one actually from uh, that early '70s. Now. Since uh, the interview with Carmen was recorded, it was announced that he is supposed to, in February of 2019, play with Vinnie Vincent as Vinnie Vincent's sort of um, return plugged-in shows. Uh, of course, I, I don't know if they will occur in, in, in February, certainly hoping so. I don't know if uh, Carmine will still be involved, but... Just a heads up, it wasn't mentioned in the interview because at the time it had not been announced. So just, just a heads up on that. But we are here to talk about the King Cobra. Their first and only live album was released in 2018. It is called Sweden Rock Live, and it was part of the Sweden Rock Festival of 2016 that had been recorded. And uh, just a fun little note for... For me, being a huge, huge Foreigner fan, uh, King Cobra once had a singer called Johnny Edwards. He's not on the uh, Sweden Rock Live, but he was on a couple of their records back then. He ended up being Foreigner's singer on the Unusual Heat album. So as, if people are starting to notice, everything somehow relates to either Kiss or Foreigner in my world. And... <laughs> Right. And Carmen played with Paul Stanley and he played with Johnny, who was foreigner singer. So it's a two for one today. A twofer, as the word is in English. Um, so there you go. Um, any other comments about Carmine before? Do you, is it Carmen or Carmine? I always said Carmine. You would have to ask him. Yes. Um, and the only comment I'd make is uh, be careful if you kiss a foreigner because you might end up marrying them. It happened to me one time. <laughs> yeah, you Actually, say... it's happened to me twice. But I can't ask him about Carmen or Carmine because they're, they're too busy d debating whether it's apathy or a piece. So I would but just you'd have to ask him that one too. <laughs> that I I have, in fact. And, and I have sat down uh, – in fact, 
when was this? About uh, four years ago, I sat in a room in a, in a conference room with both Vinny and Carmine. We were having a, a talk about love, life, and the pursuit of happiness. And I asked them face to face, and they literally uh, looked at each other like, "No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, you saying it wrong." It was it was almost a, a, a Benny Hill kind of <laughs> kind of thing. It was kind of funny. Um, so here he is, the one. Uh, yes. Hold on, talking about Benny Hill. Maybe you should make this. Um... Uh, a little thing that you do in each show is since everything relates to foreigner and kiss, everybody you interview, you're going to have to ask them, did you ever kiss a foreigner? I should. I should. And you know what? Yeah. If, if you listen to the interviews, uh, most times I will drop in a reference to kiss and I'll say, I'll say something like back in the day, much like when kiss started. And I don't know if anybody's ever noticed, but I've, I've, done that sometimes deliberately uh if you listen to the last interview with ghost i said that one of their songs dance macabre sounded like kisses i was made for loving you just you know why not (laughs) you know just throw it in there uh so yeah anyway let's uh, let's get over to the one the only carmen carmine apathy apiece pick folks here he is we are speaking with king cobra drummer (laughs) Carmine, a piece. The new album, of course, is called Sweden Rock Live. And uh, Carmine, always a pleasure to talk to you. I've had a chance to, to meet with you many times. You did a, a clinic or a drum war in Montreal about three, four years ago. And I had a chance to drive you around and stuff, which was, which was a lot of fun. And, and by the way, you and, you and Vinny, those drum wars, drum battles, whatever you want to call it, what fun is that? I mean, how much fun is that? And then we'll talk about this record, but how much fun is that to be with your brother? Because it's, it's great, man. It's great stuff. It's always, it's always been fun. You know, it's always been fun for us. We, we, we like, um, you know, I mean, your brothers and you get to, you get to do this, you know, it's just really a lot of fun. How often do you get to do that with your family? You know? yeah, exactly. You know? And, and uh, yeah, we, we have a good time. We're doing a clinic tomorrow and then, you know, we did, um, a European tour earlier this year and we did a bunch of shows last year and, and we have an album of Peace Brothers, you know, Peace Sinister, which is yep. a pretty cool album. You know, it is, and you, cool you've album. got Jim so. Cream on there too as well, so you got to love Jim. Yes, we do have Jim. Yeah, you know Jim from up, upstate, I would think so, right? Yep, and I know Jim and years ago... Uh, in 2013, I did a, a Kiss tribute album for a cancer place called A World with Heroes, and uh, Jim was nice enough to get Vinny and him to do a, a song Magic Touch. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was great. Nice. That was, That's good. And But let's, let, yeah. let's focus here. Your career is so extensive, I could ask you a million questions about everybody you've played with, but today we're going to focus as much as possible on uh, King Cobra. So... Okay. So you've got this first live album, Sweden Rock. Uh, just talk to me about that album and that event, because when you look at concerts out there, um, Sweden Rock is one of the best festivals in terms of organization, in terms of how it treats the bands, and in terms of the fan experience. So, yep. So, yeah, right? I mean, it, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, and they also do, they, they were also good at asking bands that haven't been together in a while. I said, look, we'll, we'll pay you a, a good fee to get Cactus together, to get King Cobra together, you know? And as Vinny's on the other line, how about that? <laughs> well, tell him I say hi. Can we? Yeah, to answer it. Go ahead. Can we hold on? Yep. All right. 
More with Vinny later, but now back to Carmine. He says hi back. He Good. To see if we're going to eat. <laughs> Good. So, so we'll, we'll, I just had pizza tonight. So, so we'll get back to you know get the, we'll get to Vinny in a second here. Yeah. So, so let's quickly talk about Sweden Rock. You were saying that they have yeah. this knack to hire bands that haven't been around for a while, yes. like Cactus, like King Cobra. They pay you like right, a like a reunion. Yeah. yeah. Right. They, and and, so, and they they make so they, it a unique fan they, experience. They, they do because uh, it really like it's it it started my cactus career again, you know, in the 2005 or six, whenever it was. And same thing with King Cobra. Now, you know, we're talking maybe we can do some more shows here and there, you know. And uh, I'd love to do shows with my brother's band, Last in Line, with King Cobra. I think that would be a good a good lineup, you know. But um, yeah, so they they contacted a friend of mine who was. Um, who's booking some gigs for us. And, uh, they said, we'd love to have King Cobra, put, put a, you know, put together to, to play with us, you know, to play Sweden Rock. And we said, this is great. You know? So they put some other shows together beforehand. We played a Vegas show to warm up, you know, and we played uh, a show in uh, Madrid, a show in Barcelona, and then we played Sweden Rock. So we had, you know, four shows under our belt, uh, three shows under our belt when we hit the stage, you know. And I tell you the truth, I was blown away at the reaction because, you know, we've never played. Uh, we've only played in Europe one time in 2000. I'm sorry, 1986. And it wasn't even the original band. It was me and Dave Michael Phillips, Lonnie Vincent, Mick Swader, and this guy, um, Mark Turin, which ended up being in the Bullet Boys. Right. You know, we only played one gig, but it was it was an amazing gig. It was like 4,000 people there. We didn't know that we had a big following there. And it ends up, that second album, Thrill of a Lifetime, was a lot bigger in Europe than it was in America. So um, when we went back there, we we got a great reaction. A great, you know, the audience was tremendous. We filled up the places in Barcelona and in Madrid, and then we went right on to... Uh, Sweden Rock, and it was like, yeah, maybe 8,000 people watching us, you know? Wow, that's great. It was so, awesome. You know? it, it, was, it was really great. So talk, take me back to the beginning of the band with, with Ready to Strike. You were doing the Aussie gig. Um, right. And, and from what I understand, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you and Ozzy got along fine, and that was it. It, it, it Sharon thought it was time for a change and said, okay, you got to go. Is that... Essentially, no, it, well, it wasn't really that. I was I was only there nine months, so it right. wasn't time for a change. Basically, my thoughts are that she didn't like the fact that my contract was signed as as an individual for the band. I had my own merch, I had my own PR person, I had my own um, management, and I would be doing these master classes in every market. You know, fifty people pay thirty bucks a head to see me. And I would teach them for an hour before each show, maybe five times a week, you know? And she didn't like that. She didn't like the fact that I was you know, on the road with her and I was making all this separate money, you know? But I didn't, it, it didn't interfere with the tour at all. As a matter of fact, it gave the tour more press because at the time, Ozzy had pissed on the Alamo, right? And nobody wanted to talk to him. Very few. But they talked to me because I was doing this playing an arena at night and doing a masterclass with 50 people in a music store and giving some of that money to uh, UNICEF, you know, as charity. 
So I was like the good guy, you know? So a lot of press people would talk to me and she just didn't like it. And eventually it built up to a point where she, she canned me, you know? And it was embarrassing, you know? And disappointing. Now, that was, you know, yeah. when was that? 84, 85? Has that, that was 80, 84. 84. I played with them in 83 in Europe. Right. The whole European tour. Then we came to America, and I lasted about eight weeks on the American tour. And the, the whole story is in my book. You know, I have an autobiography called Stick It. Right. My life is sex, drums, and rock and roll. And that's the opening story, that whole story of what happened with Sharon. Because it really gets... Pretty weird and crazy, you know. Has that is that a relationship that now we're in 2018 and all these years and we've all gotten older that it has somewhat smoothed over, or is it still somewhat of a that was kind of shitty and it's still shitty all these years later? I have never talked to her since. Well, so and my brother played with her and got along with her well, but I never talked to her since. I've seen Ozzy a few times. And he's always friendly with me, you know. But uh, when I was promoting the book, there was a headline in uh, on a fairly big website on mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. or newspaper. I forgot what it was. And it said, uh, Carmine P. Sharon Osborne's the most vicious woman in rock, you know. And they asked her for, for a comment. She says, I don't even know who that is. You know, that's a typical answer from her, you know, smart aleck, you know. Ouch, that's... It's like when they said I left for medical reasons, I made Ozzy sick. I didn't make Ozzy sick at all, you know? It was a great band with me, and it was really a great band. It was a great band with Tommy Aldridge in it, too, but, you know, I I really enjoyed playing with the band. Bob Daisley was a good friend of mine, Mm -hmm. and Jakey Lee was from L.A., a good friend of mine, and Don Airy was a good friend of mine. So joining that was great, and they, they called me. I didn't call them. You know, yeah, and and she just... called me. I was in, I happened to be in Europe, and I went to see him, Art Oz, and, and we said, "Okay, we'll do it." And then she put a deal together with my manager. You know, and I'm glad it worked out for for the time that it did. And and just just uh, to let you know, Jake is my interview uh, this week on Wednesday. So in fact, tomorrow. So oh. <laughs> so so I'm speaking That's to right. the Oz. Be... Tell... tell him hi. Well, I hope he calls you. I hope you can get him on the phone. <laughs> he's he's. He's a hard guy to get on the phone. He is, he but like it is confirmed, and well, of course, we'll see what happens. But so, so let's get into the does, this first. Does he have a? Does he have a? Does he have a record coming out? He does. Uh, Red Dragon Cartel oh, have okay. an album called Patina. You know, it, it's got uh, the drummer from Harem Scarum. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is that Frontiers again? Yes, sir. I don't even know if it was Frontiers. Yeah, probably Frontiers. Yeah, yeah everything's Frontiers. Cool. Everything's frontiers these days, yeah. so so I'm going to talk to him about that, yeah. and, and we'll explore some of the Aussie stuff too. But l- let's get over to Ready to Strike, the the first album that came out. Um, yeah. So anyway, so once she fired me, right, right, I was like, you know, I was really upset. But I had this guy Mark Free that I was going to use for some solo stuff, and then when I was on tour with Ozzy, uh, Molly Crew opening up for us, so I noticed that they had three blackhead guys and one blonde head guy. And I said, you know what? I bet it would be a cool image to have all blondes and a black haired guy. You know? This is before I got fired. And then when it happened, I said, you know what? I'm going to go after that that particular concept. You know, for today, for MTV, for all, you know, all the stuff that was going on in the day. But I'm going to get guys that are great players and good looking guys that the, the women would like. 
and but not not be like you know, a lot of these bands that came out of uh, L.A. in the mid mid '80s were awful musician wise. They weren't very good, you know. And uh, I wanted to get guys that looked good and that played their butts off, and I did. Mark Free was a tremendous singer, you know. He was a really really great singer. Agreed. And uh, and uh, you know, and I just picked up everybody from there. I had, you know, Mick Swader was great. David Michael Phillips was a great, good songwriter. And Johnny Rod was a maniac, but a great bass player, and he had a cool image. He already came looking like King Cobra. He already had the, the bleach blonde hair and a Rod Stewart kind of haircut, you know? And uh, he was ready-made. I mean, we had another guy named Mike Wolf that was, that was before Mick. But even before we did anything, he started uh, egoing out, getting a big ego head, you know? And I said, hey, dude, hold on. You hear that, right? I hear that a fire siren or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm in New York, so it's funny because I, I interviewed Ian McDonald, formerly of uh, Foreigner, the other day, and he was in New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. Same bloody Is he thing. The drummer, <laughs> uh, saxophone. Is he the drummer? And, no, no, saxophone and uh, all that stuff. The the, the, the instrumentalist. Oh, Ian Wallace. Yeah. I think it was Ian Wallace was the uh, the drummer. Uh, Dennis Elliott. Dennis Elliott. Oh, Dennis Elliott was the drummer. I can't remember. It's been so long since they had the original band, you know? Yep. Yeah. But all right. So anyway, so, uh, so I thought it'd be a cool idea to have the the opposite and have these great musicians. And then, because I always had this black and and purple in my hair, I said, let's put some color in their hair too, you know? So we, we created this really outrageous image, you know? But these guys can play. You know, and uh, and then I was I was hooked into Spencer Proffer at the time, who just I was working at Posture Records, um, the studio, because I recorded the second uh, the Nugent album I did with him and uh, with Ted over there, and I didn't like the drum sound we got. So after we recorded that and I was you know getting released, I went in and worked with the studio engineer Dwayne Barron. You know, he was like the second engineer there in charge. The first engineer, this guy Larry Brown, was the guy that did Ted's album. So I said, "Man, we got to update this drum sound. It's just too, you know, L.A. Linda Ronstadt kind of sound, you know." So we came up with this great, kick-ass drum sound. The first record they used it on was Quiet Riot, right? Frankie Pinelli. Yep. So I used to bust Frankie's balls and say, "Hey, Frankie, you you got your hit record on my drum sound. Thank you, bro." <laughs> Now, but but you know, so, it was just so the by, sound that he got. Working, you didn't you didn't play on the Quiet Riot album. No, no, no. No, just the no, sound. There's a certain sound. A certain, right. The way you you dial it in. Right. The drums to sound to sound big and to sound ballsy, you know, rather than the way they were sounding. It sounded like a Linda Ronstadt record, you know, and uh, it changed the whole sound of the studio because the drum sound is, is your your basis for the for the sound of a record, really, you know. Like, you know, Led Zeppelin, would have, you know, they broke up after John Bonham died, you know. So it was, their whole sound was based on the drums, you know. So anyway, so by working with Spencer, when I put this together, I naturally went to him and said, look, you want to produce this? He just finished you know, five million copies with Quiet Riot. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll produce it. And so he he put his cloud into it. Got it so we got a record deal on Capitol Records, for two, a, a, definitely a two guaranteed record you know and then my manager at the time alan miller we got a 
merchandising deal. And, you know, all of a sudden we had all this money to do stuff with, you know? So we bought clothes. We sent Mark free to a, to a, um, karate dance lesson so he can do flips and all these kicks and stuff. And that'd be really cool on stage. I spent 20 grand on a stage set. I bought trucks. I bought motorhomes. you know, Ted Nugent taught me, he said, you know, if you're going to go on tour and if you can get your own truck, you won't have to lease it, which is a lot cheaper to, to own it. You know, it's the same thing with it. Like a, a big RV, take a big RV out. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to like pay for the, the bus rentals. I said, that's a great idea. So that's what I did. I used all the money to buy, you know, vehicles and, and costumes and all that. And we created a really cool image band. You know, matter of fact, we never got to use our full state set all the time because it was so good. You know, we had a light guy, we carried a light guy. We had two other road crew sound guy. We did it all. And, you know, when we had the lights going, we had our own lights on, on this stage set we had, and we would blow off these headlines that we play with autographs, and we just blew them right off the stage from the first show because we had this amazing stage set, you know, and we utilized it. You know, we had slides on the riser. It's all a, it's the stage set's in the hunger video. You know, we had stairs going up to a second level with a fan and lights shooting up and strobe lights in it and. You know, and yeah, aircraft landing lights, which was the fad then, shine on the audience. And then on the sides, the lights would lay, light up KK, you know. We, we were able to move them in different directions. It was uh, quite an undergoing, you know. And, you know, we did everything right. The only thing that went wrong, we had the wrong label. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well, so so talk to me about having to to build a new band because the labels really did make a difference back then. If you were on the wrong one, um, if you were yeah, on the wrong well, label, well, you didn't. Right. I mean, yeah, well, Capitol Records was good. You know, I, I believe they were having the hits with uh, Heart and all that, but they were like singles, more single oriented. You know, but uh, this guy Ray Tuskin was the radio guy that broke all the acts at Capitol Records. And he was the guy that my, my manager was close with. And he was the guy that Spencer was close with. And we, through him, we got the deal. But then when we got the deal, he moved from radio promotion to A&R. And they had some other guy radio promotion that didn't do a good job. They didn't break any bands in that era for a couple of years. And then he went back to radio and the first band he worked with was Poison who used to open up for King Cobra and they took a lot of our image, you know, back in the day when they were starting out, you know, and it was, it was kind of messed up because we, at that time, you know, we were like, when we did the second album, they told us that we don't, you don't give us one side of like single oriented stuff. The other side, you do whatever you want. Then forget about recording the second album, you know? So we'd figure, well, we, you know, we're capable of writing single-oriented stuff. And we put Iron Eagle on that from the movie, which got a lot of uh, airplay on MTV, you know. And uh, But because it was half singles and half what we did on the first album, you know, we lost a lot of fans in America. In Europe, it went huge. In Europe, we sold like uh, three, four times what we sold in America. But we never went there. You know, back in the 1980s, 
early 80s, you know, 85, 86, wasn't that much, you know, the, the communication wasn't as good as it is now where, you know, you know, you, you know, we, we, you're big, you know what I'm saying? So we never went there except for that one gig in 86. By then the band was on the second incarnation because after we finished the thrill of a lifetime, we did a kiss tour and we used our state set with the kiss tour every night. It was great. But then the, um, it kind of became a joke with us that our motor home or our truck kept breaking down, you know? And, uh, we have to hassle to get to the gigs and kiss guys were great though. You know, so I knew they were friends of mine and they actually paid us to be on the tour. We didn't have to pay them or anything, you know? And, uh, but the album, you know, did okay, but it, it didn't do great. And then, uh, Capitol records didn't pick up the option. And while we were starting to work on some new stuff to get a new record deal, Mark three decided he didn't want to, be like a heavy group anymore. He wanted to be more of a, like a singles group, you know, more, more of a wimpy kind of rock sound. And we didn't want to do that. And then at the same time, Johnny Rod was recruited into Wasp, right? So, so now these you know, guys I discovered, now he's going off to another band that were much bigger than we were. So he made a name for himself doing that. So then I put in uh, Lonnie Vincent and uh, Mark Tureen to replace the two. And we were working on songs, and we played a few gigs here and there, and there. We went to Europe, came back, and we worked on these songs. The next thing I know, Mark, Mick, and, and, uh, and Lonnie left with another drummer, and they formed Bullet Boys, and they were doing the songs that we were writing with oh King God. Cobra. <laughs> my you God. Know? Right. Yeah. So it was like a nightmare, you know, and like I said, OK, so then we did. I got two other guys, three other guys from uh, this guy, Jeff Nor Northrup, this guy, Johnny Edwards, is sang with a uh, foreigner. Yeah. And, and, uh, in fact, I playing him, Larry Hart. I did want to ask you about did that. King Cobra three. Yeah. I want to ask you quickly yeah. about King Cobra three, because I find that album interesting. First of all, Johnny Edwards. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge Foreigner fan, and I and I think that unusual Heat album that he did with them is great. Completely underrated because it wasn't Lou Graham and it wasn't. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's one of these guys that sings great, but for some reason just couldn't sustain a career. But it's an interesting album because you've got uh, some you've got some work on there with Peter Chris. You've got Gene Simmons. You've got his co-writer Adam right. Mitchell, who's on there. You've got uh, Stanley, uh, the the "It's My Life" song. Talk, talk to me about right. that because you you've toured with Kiss. You played on Paul Stanley's solo album. You've got these guys helping you out, if that's the word for it, on the King Cobra Three. Um, talk to me about the, that whole relationship with Kiss and and how they've helped you and you've helped them and 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 Johnny yeah, well, Edwards I, as well. I yeah, 1970s, I was with uh, Rod, and Paul Stanley and those guys were just moving out to L.A., you know. So I started hanging out with Paul, and then I, I needed a, a solo manager because you know, I had things I wanted to do, and and he, he turned me on. He said, well, if you want the best, you should go with Kit Bill Coin, which is my our manager. I said, that would be great. So he hooked me up with a meeting with Bill Coin, this guy, Alan Miller. Alan Miller was the West Coast Bill Coin, a coin management office, and Bill was in the East Coast. So they signed me, you know, and Bill said to me, everyone knows you're a great drummer, but now we're going to make you a celebrity. 
I said, how are you going to do that? He says, you watch me. <laughs> I said, okay. You know, and he started doing it. You know, he started getting me, in a, he hired a PR firm. He, you know, it was um, Carol Ross, I believe was the name of it, was, the name, was involved in that. You know, and um, I forgot the, what they were called, but they were tied into a coin management. Uh, the press, the press office, I think it was. Carol Kay? No. Carol, Carol Kay worked there too. Right. Okay. It was Carol. Uh, it was Carol Kay and Carol Ross. They both worked together, and they both worked with Kiss. I can't remember the name of it. There, I thought it was maybe the press office was Carol's company, but anyway, uh, Carol represented me too after that. Uh, but you know, and they hired like even when I went to Europe with Rod to England, they hired a big press agent in England to keep me in the press. You know. And they and they did. They made me like a celebrity kind of guy, you know. So I was getting lots of interviews, television shows. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. Um, even went on a Dick Clark a Dick Clark game show on a Family Network where wow. I had to write out a solo I would play for thirty seconds, and then and the the, the uh, contestants had to figure out how many times I hit the drum, you know. And I was, you know, hanging out in the dressing room, we're putting the makeup on with the clock, and he'd say, "How are you doing? How's Rod? You know, how's the guys in the fudge? You know, because we, we, we went way back with the clock, you know, and you know, so they they did that for me, and then so I was with the coin manager, and I was always hanging out with Paul, and you know, and then Paul asked me to do his album, and we used to go see shows together. I invited Paul and. Uh, the Kiss guys to the Rod Stewart parties because Rod said, you know, well, invite some of your Kiss friends. So I invited them, you know, and we were hanging out quite a bit together at that time, you know. And um, so when all this King Cobra stuff came up, we met with Gene Simmons to sign King Cobra possibly to his label, you know. And he's the one that came up with the idea of the Take It Off song that was on that record. And I'm surprised he didn't hit us up for writing, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but we were like, uh, you know, so we were like talking to him and, and he gave us that song. It's my life. You know, I think that's the name of it, right? Yeah. yeah. There's it's my it's life, my life and, uh, it. and Le- legends never die. No, legends. Levens. I love that song. Legends never die. I thought it was a great, great song. Yeah. Well, that, so that, we one, cut that one is, demos. I was just going to say it's co-written by Adam Mitchell and, and he just has, right. He has it. He is a great songwriter. It's a great songwriter. So we had some good songs on there, and then we got some songs from Johnny John Norum, and then we got some songs from this guy Brian. I forgot his name. Like the song Redline is a great uh, song, and Johnny Edwards sang his butt off. He was a great guy and great singer. And I released it on my own label because we didn't have a label at the time, and at, and also at the time, my manager at the time just he was bisexual. He got AIDS around that time, you know. And he was you know, losing his aggression and everything. So I thought it'd be a good idea maybe to start my own label, you know, and I did. And I had a big party for that King Cobra 3 at my house in Northridge. And I had all my friends over, you know, the Bullet Boys and, you know, and, uh, and Ronnie Dio and, you know, all of my friends from L.A. You know, they came over the house and, you know, we made a big press thing out of it. I was signed to New Renaissance Records as a distributor, which was Anne Boleyn. Right, from Hellion. Uh, Hellion, right. Right, right. And we, she got deals in Europe. And, uh, what is that? Something you know, for Nations, Music for Nations, signed a European deal, Music for Nations. 
never got paid anything from them. And I never got paid anything from the Renaissance for the album, not even publishing, you know, because uh, the way it was set up, she was set up as a whole record company. So when other, when other, lay, other songs or albums she had got returns, they got returns against my sales. You know, but we, we did a video that take it off video. It was on Headbangers Ball. You know, I was pretty, pretty proud of the fact that I started my own label and I was on MTV and, and we sold 20, 30,000 albums back then, which wasn't bad, you know, for an independent. No, and not then, at all. Uh, and then I got, and then, you know, it started getting weird. And then I heard about this band, Blue Murder, right, John which... Sykes and Tony Franklin, that, that had Cozy Powell in it. And I loved John, John's playing on that White Snake album, with Still of the Night and all that, and slide it in. And I loved Tony Franklin playing on The Firm. And I said, oh, man, that was... I said, that Cozy Pal always gets the good gigs, damn it, you know? And then I heard that Cozy got fired. So my brother Vinny was playing in Europe, in London, with Dio. I said, you know what? I'm going to go over there. They were playing four nights at the Odeum. I said, I'm going to hang out with Vinny and Dio, and, uh, and hopefully I'll find out how to get a hold of Sykes, because I didn't know how to get a hold of him. But uh, who told me how to get a hold of him was Chris Welsh, right? So I called the house. I talked to John's stepdad, who was the co-manager at the time. Right. And I told him I'm in town and I would love to come down and, and check out the Blue Murder drum seat. And I said, yeah, that would be great. And I went down and that was it. I played with them and they just said, oh, my God. So we played with Ainsley, Cozy, all these guys. said, nobody plays like you. And we, we had magic immediately, you know. Well, okay, so... Well, I do, I do, I do want to ask so you about this. So it's funny. Go, Go listen to this. Listen, listen, listen to this real quick. Okay. So I had King Cobra Three coming out on my own little label, and then I'm signed with Blue Murder to Geffen Records with a major label with a major deal at the same time. Pretty wild. It was wild. So I did want to get to the Blue Murder stuff because that debut album. Blue Murder is Blue Murder with Valley of the Kings yeah. and Jelly Roll and, and, and yeah. phenomenal. Uh, and of course, you know, you did you did two albums or, or the band does two albums. Your your involvement on um, what was the other one? Nothing But Trouble was uh, right, right. sort of sparse and whatever. But but talk to me about that band and what went right and what went what wrong. Happened? Yeah, because listen, musically, well, it was right. Uh, I that... think, I think, I think personally, we never had the right management. Okay, and you know, back in those days, you had the right management, the right PR firm, the right label, right everything. We had the right label, we had the right songs, we had the right personality, we had uh, well, Geffen's PR people, but we didn't have the management. It was, it was. Um, John Sykes is, um, this is my opinion anyway, uh, John has a different take on it. Uh, his stepdad was involved with a lawyer and some marketing guy from Capitol Records. That was the management team. Okay? So it wasn't really like a, a potent management team that, that, you know, can pull the strings. And then right when it was released, right at the beginning of it, John fired them all. So we had nobody. So Alan Miller, my manager, kind of stepped in in the shadows and was helping with 
you're lining up the press. And his stepdad still was involved, but the other two guys, he let go. So we had no management to really direct the label and the PR and piece everything together, you know, and it's, we've done stupid things, you know, like Valley of the Kings came out and it, it didn't, you know, it was like, it wasn't like a pick of MTV or, you know, we wanted it to be the pick, you know, especially Sykes after coming out of that huge white snake album, you know, and I played on the Pink Floyd record, uh, momentary lapse of reason. And we used to look at each other and go, well, yeah, my mom is number 10. What, what's, what, where's yours? He goes, mine's number eight. <laughs> you know, and it was, so we thought we knew what we were doing, especially Sykes. So we used to like bust, you know, like John Kalana's, uh, jobs and say, Hey, look, you know, we want Valley of the Kings. We want it as a pick. We want it to, you know, heavy rotation. And they said, look, we know what we're doing. And well, John kept pushing it. So he pushed it. And that really wasn't the song that was going to break the band. Jelly Roll was the song, you know, because it was more commercial, right? It so was, by the great. time we got to Jelly Roll, the label had already blown all his favors with everybody. So Jelly Roll came out and did good. But even at that point, we just got in the hole of uh, Brian Adams' manager, you know. And then when he started doing, he started Bruce Allen. favoring like John Sykes, Bruce Allen. He started favoring John Sykes in the band when it was really a band. It was like the cream. It was always said this band is like the cream. You know, yeah, John sang and played, but it was like the cream. If any one of us wasn't there, it wasn't the same. You know, so we went out and then, but because we didn't get the kind of airplay that we needed on Valley of the Kings, we got it on Jelly Roll, but it was almost too late, you know, because, you know, after you blow your wad, you know, back in those days, yeah. the first single or something, you know, it's hard to get the second single going, even though it did get the number three in the airplay and requests on the hard, you know, on the, you know, whatever, the hard rock, you know, there's quarterback things. What is it called? The uh, Friday morning quarterback and all that stuff. Right. You know, and, but it never recovered, you know, and then John went into a big depression after that. I don't blame him. I was depressed about it too. You know, because if somebody would have told me before the album came out, we had Bob Rock as the producer, come on. You know, if somebody would have said this album is going to fail, I would have bet my house on it, you know, that I owned. I would have said, I bet my house that this thing is going to go big, you know, and it didn't go big. So we all got a little bit depressed, especially John, because that was his baby. And he was trying to outdo Whitesnake, you know, Coverdale, because there, there were enemies. There still are. Very so, big then, enemies from what I understand, yeah. Yeah, still. I mean, he won't, he'll never do anything with them. And then by the time he, come, he came out of that, now, I was, uh, I forgot what actually happened. I was, I was starting to do some gigs with Vanilla Fudge in 1999, you know. By the time he, he came out of it in 1990. Not nineteen. What year we're talking about? Eighty-nine. Ninety. Ninety. Right. Eighty-nine. Eighty-nine. Going into ninety, uh, there was some. I was. I forgot what I was doing. I think it was a Westwood One recording that we did with you guys, and we got a deal on uh, Rhino to release it. So I was working on that, and John didn't like the fact. Didn't like that fact, and and my ex-wife and his ex-wife got in some sort of argument. So he basically said, "Well, look, why don't you go do your own thing? You know, I'll just." 
when I'm ready to do an album, I'll do an album, you know. So then I heard that he tried all these different drummers out, and Tony was still there, and they couldn't, he couldn't recreate the magic, so they called me. And I went in and did the second album, but he, he did have a couple of tracks that this other drummer did that he went out on tour with. And, uh, but I did the majority of the album, and I did it more of a sideman. I got paid through Geffen as sessions. You know, double scale sessions with Mike Stone producing it. You know, and then that album came out, and it, and it, the first album did amazing in Japan. We never went there. You know, second album came out, it did even more amazing in Japan. So he went there as as Blue Murder with the, with Malcolm Mendoza and this other drummer, Tommy something. Uh, and he Oste- did good because Tommy of the, fact Osteen. Of the first album, right. Yeah, he did good because of the because of the first album, with, you know. And then me and me and Tony went with Kelly Keeling, who was also on that album, as Rock Super Sessions number number two. So I did one in '82, and we did good too. We made good money, and we played in front of good sized audiences. And John was there, and we were there. <laughs> we never got the platinum record for it from Japan, but uh, you know. And that was the end of it, you know. And once that happened, it was it was done. I tried to get Blue Murder back together since I don't know, probably the year two thousand. You know, I see, and and, and and it would be so great because I could never do it. I know that you mentioned that King Cobra did the Sweden Rock because Sweden Rock has a way of getting bands together. I, I would so love Sweden Rock to step up and say, "Okay, John, here's this incredible amount of money." Just do it, and I, and I think it would be great for the fans. And you could record it and release it, and but dreams. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, you know the, the the problem is we did have some of that going on when he was. Uh, you know, Adam Parsons, the manager. Yes, I know him very well. He manages Europe, Black Star okay. Riders, Thin Lizzy. Yep. Right. Well, he was managing Thin Lizzy when John was in it. Okay, and then John pulled some stuff, and we were talking about putting the blue murder thing together for the following year he already had a bunch of festivals lined up for really fairly big money but john pissed him off so much that he blew it all out oh. that was the end of it oh okay so that was the end of that and then you know, we let you know we you know me and tony and john had a jam a year and a half ago because our keyboard player nick green had cancer and we were you know trying to John said, well, maybe we can do a few gigs, get some gigs together and inspire Nick to get better so he can play with us. So we went to John's house and we played. That was magic. It was great. You know, so when it came down to the nitty gritty about putting something together, there was never anything there. So you still talk to John then? He He's not an enemy or, or, or a guy you haven't spoken no, to? I, to- I, okay. I, no, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but I, I, he texted me the other day because we had just given uh, Nick's wife, he gave him a, a Les Paul guitar that I signed, Tony signed, and he signed, and I gave her a very expensive uh, Istanbul Mehmet ride symbol that we the three, that I signed, and she brought it to John. Because, you know, I, I don't live in L.A. that much anymore, you know. I'm mostly in New York, so... Right. When I go to L.A., when I used to go to L.A., I used to call John and we'd go over and have a cup of tea and we'd talk about, you know, maybe putting this together. But after the last sessions, it, it, it turned totally sour, you know. 
and I've been busy. And then when I go to LA, you know, I see my kids and my family. So I, I you know, I would call a couple of times and he don't call back. He's bad at calling back, you know? So, so I just, you know, Dang. didn't call anymore. And then when I did this thing, like about three weeks ago, I signed the guitar. I signed, gave her the drum head and some other things she could drum some of them, other things she can sell. And John texted me, said, that was really nice what you we did for Penny. Really appreciate it. You know, and we should, let's, let's have a chat. You know, I said, all right, I'll give you a call. You know, but I tell you the truth, I've been so busy. You know, I'm the last playing with the Rascals now, playing with Vanilla Fudge, playing, doing shows with my brother. You know, um, it's been yeah, very busy. So I, I, I looked at the text the other day. I said, oh man, I forgot to call John. You know, well, but, uh, you know, I, as I, a I fan, have the conversation. <laughs> We'd love to see Blue Murder back, even if yeah. it's just a festival run in Europe. Just get it done. Put out a yeah, CD. Well, get you know, it. You know. The problem. The problem is easier said I than had done. A very, uh, I had a very bad uh, medical emergency in Europe at the beginning of this year. Okay, where I almost died. Okay, so and and part of it was due to the medical um, uh, practices over there. You know the way they deal with things. Right. So I don't think I'm going to be going to Europe anytime soon. Okay, you know, so, well, well uh, and the only way I would go to Europe is if I could take my doctor with me, because right. it's a, it's a, it's a, fi- it's fixed, but you never know, you know. It's you like, never. You, like if you have a, I didn't have a heart attack, but if you have a heart attack, and you, they fix it, you know, you're gonna feel like, well, you know, I can always have another one, you know. So you don't want to be in Europe when you have one, you know. Right. Well, I'm, so, I'm glad to hear that. You're... I think that. I was going to say, I'm glad to hear that you're that you're better and back and, and great. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've been playing great and playing with Cactus. I'm recording with Cactus. I played with Vanilla Fudge. I just did uh, four, two weekends. And we did how many gigs? With uh, We had 18 gigs. We've got six left. We did 12 gigs with the, the Rascals. I did 14 gigs at the Hippie Fest, you know, with, with Vanilla Fudge and Rick Derringer and all that. And I'm having a good time. You know, I'm yeah, really, I am having a musically good time and a good time in my life, you know, and it would have been great to play with Blue Murder. But, you know, it's, there's always something going on. And John said that prevents it. I don't know what it is. You know? Well, I'll tell you what, have John call me. Well, I'll do an interview and I'll convince him. <laughs> hey, I'll convince Eddie him to Trunk do it. Has been trying to put this. Eddie Trunk has been trying to put this together forever. But, hey, listen. And you know that wine, that winery dogs band. You know the winery dogs. Yeah, yeah dogs. that he put together. Well, right. I support Eddie yeah, in this. Uh, let's get it done. It's doable. <laughs> it, yeah. it, but uh, just real well, quick, you guys can do it. If, I'll, I'll play in the festivals in America without in a minute. Well, listen. Yeah. There's one but, here in Montreal called Heavy Montreal. I'll 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 have them contact you to make an offer and see what <laughs> see what happens. But uh, there you go. We'll there we'll remind go. the folks, it's a big of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do that. Uh, let's remind the folks really just real quick I, that King Cobra has Sweden Rock Live, and uh, go ahead. Yep, Sweden and, Rock Live, and the band kicks butt. As a matter of fact, Jordan uh, Jordan Ziff, who's on that album that replaced Mick for that show, is now playing with Rat. That's right, and um, yeah. in fact, I, I so, spoke to I spoke to Stephen yesterday. That that band's doing pretty good. I mean, they've changed a lot of guys, but yeah. 
they're, my they're, friend, they're, my friend is managing them. Tom Vitorino, he's a great manager. Yeah, they, they, listen, they're, they, they yeah. are uh, they are extending the life of that brand, and fans are having fun. Yeah, you can't, you can't complain. Um, Carmine, no, always, and they, uh, and they yeah. should, and they should, they should. They were they were as big as Motley Crue in the old days, and then they just faded away. You know? Well, they 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 beat the ever living crap out of each other away. But <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, so did Motley Crue a little bit, but not as bad as them. Yeah. N- no. But uh, as bad as they did. Always, a, always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I've always loved uh, catching up with you. That stuff you do with your brother, the album, uh, the drum wars. Uh, yeah, I love all, that. I love that. Yeah, I just, love that. It's it's great stuff, and we uh, have a good time. And, Recording that record was fun. It was really a lot of fun. And having the drums, the way we placed them, Vinny on the left, me on the right, so you could actually hear. And then we did stuff on our own. And, and there's that song, Brothers and Brothers and Drums, which was really the story of us, you know? Starting out in Brooklyn, before when I started playing, there was no Vinny, you know? And then he started playing. He said, I want to play the drums. And my mother said, you're driving me crazy like your brother did. You know? <laughs> And hopefully, so, at some point, so you can good. you can teach him how to say the name properly. That that'll be very yeah. Right. Uh, but always a pleasure. It's unbelievable that that's still going. Yeah, always a pleasure, Mitch. We'll talk to you soon. We'll, we'll talk soon. And uh, thank you so much. I'll let the folks know about the the great album, the Sweden Rock uh, Live. And uh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, cool. and I'll, I'll text you later. Yeah, with you know, info. like I said, with, with Tony Franklin, you know, I'm I'm re-releasing with some new tracks. My whole Katazus, uh sessions oh i yeah. have one and, of those uh, that you did Robert, years ago there was um i think ace fraley and zach wild were on one like back in like 97 right well not 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 ace not ace but it was uh zach wild but zach wild was okay Brian may slash yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Malmsteen, everybody's on so now we got some new ones with bumblefoot and john norm oh wow. wow and a couple other ones bumblefoot yeah, by the pat way travers and, pat travers yeah. from canada yeah, Pat Travis. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, boom, boom, out go the lights. We, we did over the we we did over. Do you think I'm sexy? Done heavy, heavy with rock. Pat. It's really cool. So yeah, with Pat. Wow. Yeah. We both, I sing the lead, and he sings the he sings the choruses with me, and he sings the bridge. And but we changed it totally. I mean, it's 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 a it's a heavy rock song now. Uh, so when does yeah. the when does Guitar Zeus come out? When does this come out? That's going to come out on my label, Rocket Records, which is the same label back in the day with King Cobra 3, except I've done other releases on it. And uh, E1, uh, and that's not E1, it's um, Caroline is distributing the physical. And uh, and Robert DePole that lined us up is handling all the social media and all the digital stuff. You know? oh, that's great. Yeah, so, so, so we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll talk when that so comes out. We have a cool, yeah. We have a cool uh, lyric video for the. It's called Mother Space. It's the lead track with Bumblefoot on it, with me, me and Tony and Kelly Keeling. It's it's awesome, really awesome. It really does the same. It's the same thing. We I found the track in 19, from 1995 that never was released, never even finished. And it, and I said, Wow, this track is great. So Robert said, Well, try and finish it. And I found another track that had John Norum on it. I said, this track is great too, you know? So we said, well, we'll release this on Spotify and all those platforms. We're going to release like a best of on my label with a nice digi pack. And then if it goes well, we'll release a vinyl of it, you know, but it's classic because you know, what's great about that record. 
it's sort of like Soundgarden meets Blue Murder meets The Beatles, right? Yep. But it still sounds like today. And all the guys that were on it, like Brian May wasn't playing with anyone then. Neil Sean wasn't in Journey. Slash wasn't in Guns N' Roses. You know, John Norum wasn't, you know, wasn't, I don't even think he was in Europe at the time. Nope. You know, and, and Bumblefoot, you know, wasn't even heard of back then. You know, so there's a lot of, all the, all the people, Ted Nugent, everybody was on there is big now, you know? Yeah. Bigger than they were back in the day, because back in the day, it was like the grunge era. All of us were dinosaurs. <laughs> right. You were, everybody was sort of on the downward spiral, but they've all come back. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Neil yeah. and I talk all the time, and and I saw them this year, and it was at a it was at Fenway Park. You know, who thought right. that? Who, whoever thought you'd see Def Leppard and Journey at, at a stadium in 2018? You know, 1996 rolled around. You right. thought it's over for everybody, yeah. and here we are, exactly. 20 right, exactly. and 20 years later, they're playing stadiums, and you go, "Yep, people still love this music, so can't deny it." Um, yeah, they, they do, even though all the radio is different, and everything. You know, the problem with America is we never had any magazines. Like Europe always had magazines and never had radio, you know. And mm-hmm. then they got some radio and they still kept all the magazines. We don't have any magazines over here. No. Nope. You know, there's no way to promote anything, you know. But you've got shows and like, like myself. magazines are going out of style now anyway. Yeah, but you've got shows yeah, like yeah, myself, and right. and and even though Eddie Trunk is is a competitor, Eddie Eddie has done an incredible job keeping uh, people yeah, aware. but... You know, right? But like that metal show was a great vehicle, and it's gone. Yeah, you know, they they, they kicked it to the curb. Each one has gone. Yeah. yeah, it's stupid, you know. And now there's really no outlets for this. You know, there's a few metal shows here and there around the country, but you know, it's not like when in, in the '80s when a record came. I even my solo record, I had 90 stations on my solo record. You know, and it sold 110,000 units, and that's nothing. Back in the day, back in those days, you know, today you sell 110,000 units, you're number one on Billboard. <laughs> well, these days you can sell 8,000 and be number one on Billboard, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but, I know. but, you know, well, you listen, and that's that's why that's why, you know, this this rock talk with Mitch Lafon is 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 useful. And that's why Blabbermouth is useful and Eddie yep. Trunk is useful and Chris Jericho with, yep. with his show and. We're we're still fighting yep. to keep this alive, and and we love it, and we love when you come on, and we love when your brother comes on, and and yeah. boy, last in line with King Cobra doing whatever twenty a twenty run, you know, twenty show run, I think would be great. I think that would be fantastic, and yeah, uh, you know. I think it'd be great. Off the record, I mean, uh, I just want to ask you something else. All right, hold on. Let me turn off the record. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.